Season 1, Episode 7. Tyrion Purple. More than just the name of a character from Game of Thrones, Part 2. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Art History by Lakshmi podcast. It's me, Anu, or Lakshmi, whatever you want to call me, and I'm glad you're back. If you're new here, I'm a professional artist and I have a passion for history, linguistics, politics, and art, and I like to talk about those subjects a lot, so I created a podcast about it. A little shameless plug before we begin today. Check out my paintings and prints at artlakshmi.com. That's art, L-A-K-S-H-M-I dot com. And if you have something to say about this episode or want to interact with me about art history or just about anything really, find me on Twitter at art underscore by underscore Lakshmi. I wanted to start this episode off with a shout out to Ratnakar Sadasula with the History Under Your Feet podcast. He covers all kinds of eras and subjects in Indian history. It's a great podcast and you can find it wherever you get your podcast. So be sure to check him out. I know I said I'd do an episode every week, and I actually was going to upload something last week, but I was really, really not well, so I had to take a little bit of time off. Apologies, but we're back. We're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. We looked at how Tyrian purple was made. Today, we're going to look at how it changed the world. And with all those superlatives I used in the previous episode, it's got a shit ton to live up to. Since we've been in a pandemic, I've been pretty much stuck at home since the beginning of 2020. It would be nice to take a vacation to a nice warm island. So let's do that. Let's pretend we're either in the islands of Santorini or Rhodes in the Aegean Sea. Except we're doing a little time travel and we're going back anywhere to the 18th or the 17th century BCE. And on a side note, honestly, if I could go back in time, I would do this. So really, time travel is ideal for me. But when you look around you, going back to our little scenario, you can see wall paintings that use a purple pigment. And if an island getaway isn't what you wanted, we can traipse around to Syria around the same time period, and you may catch a glimpse of someone wearing a purple garment. But be very careful to not piss them off, because whoever was wearing that purple garment must have been rich or very, very powerful. You can't smell it but the purple dye on the wall paintings and the purple dye of the clothing was made from Tyrian purple. Tyrian purple goes really far back. We see it mentioned in Ugarit and Hittite sources of the 14th century BCE, and it is mentioned in the Amarna letters that date back from around the same time. Like I mentioned in the previous episode, while it's debated where Tyrian purple originated, Tyre in modern Lebanon was definitely the place to get your Tyrian purple from. They perfected everything about it and monopolized the trade of Tyrian purple. However, this made Tyre the shittiest vacation spot in antiquity. The Greek geographer Strabo once visited Tyre and mentioned that the dye industry polluted the air so much that the stench made his visit fucking awful. But that stench drove the economy of Tyre in a way. Tyre was obligated to pay tribute to Assyrian kings in the 9th and the 8th century BCE. They didn't just pay them in gold and silver. No, they paid them in cloth dipped in Tyrian purple as well. In ancient Persia, people believed that Tyrian purple had a divine significance, and you had to be someone really important to get your hands on some of it. 
and even the fake purples, and you better believe humans have been faking shit for a while, became expensive just because of how popular Tyrian purple was. Tyrian purple was adopted by Cyrus the Great as the color of royalty. He didn't like it if he got mistaken for just any other random rich guy who could afford to drench himself in purple clothing. No, he wanted to stand out. So he made sure Tyrian purple was mainly meant for royalty. In fact, a white-striped purple tunic was his exclusive clothing of choice and could be worn by no one else. But he did allow people to wear robes with sleeves dyed with Tyrian purple if they received it from him as a gift. So anything Tyrian purple had a very close association with royalty in ancient Persia. You know how the Greeks and Persians went to war? And thanks to the movie 300, I think a lot of women do, but I digress. Well, the Greeks initially transferred their hate for the Persian Empire to, to clothing dipped in Tyrian purple. The first Greek law code by Zeleucus in the 7th century BCE talks about Tyrian purple and of course talks about what women should and shouldn't wear because patriarchy. Zeleucus states that, quote, A free-born woman may not be accompanied by more than one female slave unless she is drunk. She may not leave the city during the night unless she's planning to commit adultery and she may not wear gold jewelry or a garment with a purple border unless she is a courtesan, end quote. Oh, the horror of a woman wearing Tyrian purple. The sheer fucking horror. But as with everything else, vanity kind of won out. The Greeks went from viewing Tyrian purple garments as a symbol of tyranny and oppression by the Persians to the most in thing to have. By the mid-4th century BCE, they were all over that Tyrian purple dye too. In the Iliad, Agamemnon wears the purple cloak. Hector's urn filled with his ashes is surrounded by purple cloth. And in the Odyssey, Odysseus and his son Telemachus own purple cloaks. When Alexander the Great started butchering his way through Asia Minor and conquered the Persian city of Susa, he came across cloth dyed in Tyrian purple in the city. And apparently, it was still bright and luminous almost 200 years later. But not everyone could wear Tyrian purple in ancient Greece. The higher your social and political rank, the more dead shellfish juice you could drench your clothes in. And people took wearing Tyrian purple really seriously. According to the Roman historian Suetonius, King Ptolemy of Mauritania went to visit Caligula and decided, you know what, I'm going to make a fashion statement and wear a cloak made of Tyrian purple. Caligula, for his part, received Ptolemy with honors, but when he saw that purple cloak, shit hit the ceiling, and Caligula took that as an act of aggression and had Ptolemy killed. In ancient Egypt, Tyrian purple too became a symbol of royalty. In fact, legend has it that Cleopatra was so fucking extra that her barge was purple, her boat sails were dyed purple, her sofas were purple, and stones of purple porphyry rock lined her palace. She showed all of this off to Julius Caesar, who was impressed. He went back to Rome and wanted the same shit for himself. As soon as he landed on Roman soil, he decreed that only Caesars were allowed to wear a full purple toga. The catch was, he was the only Caesar around, so he was the only one who could wear a nice purple toga made of Tyrian purple. But restricting what people could wear and how much people could spend wasn't new in ancient Rome. Ancient Rome had sumptuary laws that were passed around 215 BCE, and they were there to restrict excessive personal expenditure in the interest of preventing extravagance and luxury. Sounds like an awesome thing to have 
How else will you know whom to look down to if you cannot look at their clothing and see if you are, in fact, superior to them? There were a number of ways that purple was restricted in ancient Rome. There was the turboga, praetexta. It was just a normal white toga, and it had a broad purple stripe on the border. If you were a freeborn Roman boy, you hadn't really come of age, you could wear that. If you're a magistrate or a type of a priest, certain sections of society, you could wear a toga praetexta. But if you were better than a toga praetexta, if you were like, fuck, I'm better than you, you could show it off by wearing a toga picta. And that was a solid purple toga, and it was embroidered with gold. During the Roman Republic, generals wore it during triumph processions. In the empire, when Rome was an empire and ruled by emperors and Caesars, it was worn by magistrates during specific times, like during a gladiatorial game, and it was also worn by consuls and, of course, by emperors on special occasions. Eventually, though, a fully purple toga became something only an emperor could wear. In fact, Nero supposedly had people punished to death if he caught them wearing purple. By the time of Emperor Constantine, Tyrian purple became a part of the church, and it became an essential part of the clothing of the cardinals. Purple was now associated with priesthood in the church. In the Byzantine Empire, Tyrian purple continued to be an important color. All the kings and queens wore it. It was the color of royalty, and it was also used for diplomatic gifts. So if you were besties with the emperor, you were set, sartorially speaking. But emperors being emperors knew how to take it up a notch, and Tyrian purple was even used for imperial documents and for pages of the Bible. Gospel manuscripts were written in gold lettering on parchment that was colored with Tyrian purple. That's a level of extra only emperors and empresses can achieve. But Tyrian purple also played an important part of the Byzantine church because bishops wore white robes with purple stripes on them while government officials wore squares of purple fabric to show that they may not be emperor, but they were still fucking important. You can still see this today in remnants of Byzantine mosaics. The mosaics of Emperor Justinian and his retinue at the Church of San Vitale in Ravenna in Italy show us again how important Tyrian purple was in Byzantine society. You knew just whom to be subservient to by looking at the clothes. In the mosaic, you have Emperor Justinian in a completely purple cloak, and to his left are members of the clergy, and to Justinian's right appear members of the imperial administration. But Justinian is front and center, and his robe is fully purple. The purple lets us know that Justinian is the emperor, and that he is pretty important to the Christian plan of history. But even in Western Europe, Tyrian purple was the color of royalty. When Charlemagne was crowned in 800, he wore a cloak of Tyrian purple. In medieval depictions of his coronation, bishops and cardinals are shown in Tyrian purple with the Pope wearing white. When Charlemagne was buried in 814, he was buried in a shroud of, let's see, red? No, just kidding. Of course, the shroud was Tyrian purple. It was also embroidered with gold. Tyrian purple was a great dye, but was rarely used in paintings. A painter called the Master of St. Cecilia, and he is called that because, unfortunately, we don't have his identity, we don't know his name, and even more unfortunately, it was in all likelihood a he. But this painter was active in Florence in the late 1200s and the early 1300s, and he used 
Tyrian purple on a painting of tempera on gold leaf on panel, and it is a painting of the Madonna and Child, and the baby Jesus is wearing robes of Tyrian purple. And the Master of Saint Cecilia actually used Tyrian purple in painting those robes. But it is one of the few instances of a painting using Tyrian purple. But the end of Tyrian purple was near, and unlike the ending of Game of Thrones, this was a dramatic end. In 1453, the Ottomans sacked Constantinople, and with it, they destroyed the dyers' workshops. But that wasn't the only reason Tyrian purple had everything going against it. Tyrian purple required a shit ton of murex nails. Scholars think that at some point, those murex shellfish would have become extinct. Tyrian purple became pretty much unavailable. The Ottomans also didn't value Tyrian purple the way the Western world did, so really there was no reason for them to go and push the sales of Tyrian purple. It was a bad combination that brought upon the end of Tyrian purple's reign. In 1464, because Tyrian purple pretty much was non-existent now, Pope Paul II said, "We're not going to wear Tyrian purple anymore. The cardinals should wear scarlet." And kermes was already produced in Spain, so let's use that. Bishops and archbishops who were of a lower status than the cardinals, they could still wear purple, but it wasn't Tyrian purple. That was cloth first dyed with indigo and then overlaid with red from kermes. Later, kermes was replaced by cochineal red, and you can go check that out in my previous episode on cochineal red, and that will tell you exactly what it is and why it replaced kermes. So there you go. That's the story of Tyrian purple. It's insanely long reign. It's horrific stink, and it's eventual demise. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope it showed you just how interlaced politics and art can be. Until next week, stay safe.